This episode of the Wiffle League Podcast was recorded on Monday, November 16th, 2015. Thanks for listening. Enjoy. Welcome into the With League Podcast. We're in Studio H, the Holland Brand, Chateau. Joined by my favorite people as always. Let's get right into the, the main segment of our podcast, the wind-up. We'll go over Wiffle Series 11, which occurred uh, what seems like years ago, um, with the River Cats and Tourists facing off. The Tourists, of course... The uh, regular season number ones, the River Cats having to go through the Chihuahuas to get to this Wiffle Series matchup. And with a strong and confident Jason Hillenbrand on the mound, everybody knew this would be a different series than the first time they faced off. Started off with the River Cats 3-2 victory in Game 1. Solid footing in the batter's box definitely played a part for the right-handed batters of the River Cats in that match. And then the Jeff Hanschman rule came into effect, game two, as Steve Andrews came up with a big hit to send the game to extra innings and then ended up, I believe, with the game-winning home run, if I'm not mistaken. In game three, the tourists would go on to skunk the River Cats 7-0 and take home Wiffle Series 11. Uh, Definitely a matchup that featured a lot of elements at play. But tremendous defensive effort, hitting effort, and pitching effort by both teams. And eventually, the Tourists won out with their two strong pitchers on the mound, Russ Anderson and Steve Schroeder. And that's the windup. We do also want to mention the Wiffle Scramble. First annual, JF? Is that correct? It was the first annual. We also had a discussion whether or not first annual is proper. I believe it. May be inaugural. Josh, do you want to chime in on this? So when we looked it up, I believe first annual means it's the first time you've decided to have it annually, but it's already occurred. So it technically wasn't the inaugural. It was the first annual since it had occurred last year. It's like an anniversary. And where did you look this up? Mm -hmm. In the golf outing dictionary? The internet. Okay. Yeah, a lot of the stuff that I had... uh, looked at kind of went both ways it said first annual is acceptable and then others said it wasn't and then others said that inaugural was the only way to do it so it was kind of uh sending some mixed signals so do you we did whatever the hell we wanted do you to usually look up things on the internet that go both ways <laughs> oh wow <laughs> wow uh with that the teams were selected by an unknown committee and of course, uh, the winners on a playoff match, I believe, was it one hole of playoff? Josh Wittenberg and Dave Leap beating out, who was the other team, Josh? I believe at that point I left. It was actually a three-way tie. Okay. So it was myself and Dave against Curtin and Satry, who after their tee shots, they just gave up completely. And then the other team was Dustin Eckert and Brian Boyson. That's right. Dustin and Brian were in my group. Um, they witnessed a majestic 50-foot putt <laughs> that I sank, but was very irrelevant since Laz and I were awful together. 
Um, but that being said, congratulations to Josh and Dave on the first annual Wiffle Scrambled Championship. And I believe uh, everybody was very thankful for the ball marker and tease with the Wiffle logo on it. That was a fantastic gift. Um, do we have any notes on who won? Did Josh win all the uh, closest to the pin and longest drive? I actually won longest drive, and I've already lost one of the balls. Okay, well done. <laughs> Which brings us to our next bit, fair or foul. I'll bring in our steady producer, JF. JF, you want to take us through the fair or foul, please? Absolutely. Uh, we'd like to welcome in first off. Steve is joining us as our special guest today, uh, so Steve, feel free to chime in here. The Steve first, Andrews, that is. Let's let's yeah. make that clear. He's already spoken a few times, but this is Steve Andrews. The first fair foul, the tourists should have started Russ Anderson in game one of the Wiffle Series. Now, usually I'd have an opinion on this, but I'm going to defer to Steve since he was the captain of the tourists and... and let him recollect on the series that was and whether or not Russ should have been the choice. You know, that was a really difficult decision, um, one that I poured over the night before and then the night before that. Um, both times I was pretty drunk. Um, but I think I had to, I, I, even though the statistics are sometimes pretty meaningless, I had to go to, um, I thought it was time to mix things up, you know, and I know it was a risky play to, mix things up in the World Series, but I went with my gut, which was a theme this uh, this year. Did you consider at all Steve Schroeder's past performance in the postseason? I know I don't believe he had a loss in the postseason in the past two years as a pitcher. So did that factor into your reason to go with him? What do you think, Josh? <laughs> I mean, I know that Russ was also... Uh, a great pitcher during the season. He had four wins and no losses this season. So were you putting more of the onus on how well Rich was or Russ was doing this year or counting on Steve to be at his postseason best? I think it took me a little while to start to trust. Not I, It was never that I didn't trust Steve on the mound, but I trusted Russ more. And I think Jeff had put a bug in my ear a few times about like Russ is, is just the obvious choice. He's the way to go. And then... Throughout the season, I started to pay more attention to how dependable Steve really was on the mound. Right, and I think getting back to it, it, it it's foul that Russ should have started Game One, or that's the twist. What does that mean? Well, it's a fair foul. That's that's the concept of this bit. <laughs> what does that mean, though? True or false? True or false? Oh, okay. Buy Thank or you. sell? Do you put weight into the <laughs> statement that's given to you? But I, I'm going to go with foul as should have. I mean, he certainly could have, and I think hmm. Josh is a. You know, illuminated the the ideas that we're, we're talking about here, the the differing maybe facts that you could have gone off of. But at the end of the day, you needed somebody to match Jason Hillenbrand, and I think as you as you said, Steve, very dependable. And if he could get you eight innings, you knew at that point you you guys probably had the edge. Yeah. Um, and it almost didn't work. Actually, I believe down to the last um, three outs for you guys, mm. but in the end, paid off big time. Mm. So I'm gonna go with foul on that one, but I. I think it could have certainly gone either way. The River Cats should have continued to walk Steve Schroeder ahead of Steve Andrews after game one of the Wiffle Series. Fair or foul? Oh, jeez. And a fall silent. I know, this is well, a stumper. We, 
we as in the Rivercats, we walked Schroeder in both games one and two pretty much every time he came to the plate. And then in game three, because the the tourists switched up their lineup to be Schroeder-Russ. Right, that's why I asked from game one to game two. I know that you had won game one. So really, I'm sure you're feeling confident and felt good about the strategy, but I, I don't know if it resulted, I believe it might have early on resulted in a run for the tourists. So I'm just kind of curious to see uh, what you guys had maybe talked about during the game, um, or if you just wanted to continue with it and hope for the best. Well, I think Do in hindsight, tell. in hindsight, I think uh, the River Cats should have walked him entirely every at-bat because it would have allowed our right-handed batters to have maybe a better stance in that box with uh, a less at-bat every time. Oh, snap! Ooh! I, I feel that the way the lineup was set for the tourists, it it was a no-brainer for us to continue to walk Schroeder because he didn't have the protection behind him that uh, you would think by them batting Andrews. And our strategy worked very well in games one and two. And our key out, the final out of game one, came uh, off the bat of Steve Andrews. And I believe there was a runner on second base. There may have been a runner on third, but I know there was a runner on second. And we got the out and we won the game by one run. And then mm-hmm. later on in game two, we fell victim to the bat of Steve Andrews and he won the game for them. So, you know, it worked and it didn't work. It just depended on the situation. So, And that's the first time anyone's fell victim to any part of me. <laughs> Somehow I find that hard to believe with this uh, facial hair you got going on. <laughs> it's really fun to tug on. I can tell you haven't stopped playing with it I've, since we went on I've the developed air. trichotillomania, which is like pulling out hairs. You might find them all over the place. Yeah. Maybe in JF's drink over here. <laughs> the third fair foul, the Chihuahuas would have won the Wiffle Series if they had advanced <laughs> in the semifinals. Who was that team again? Can we remind the listeners? The Chihuahuas were made up of Paul Stumbaugh, JF, Jeff Hanchman, mm-hmm. and I want to say their fourth player Dave Leap. was Dave Leap. Thank you. Hmm. Um, it's a game of matchups. So Once again, I think I, 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 I see the matchups, but once again, I think the pitching would have won out in that case. Um, I would have found it hard to believe that the tourists, who are who are by far the best team over the regular series regular season, would have uh, would have not gotten one out of those first two, or at least one out of those two that Jeff pitched. Um, and from that point on, it would have come down to again, I think Russ versus the second pitcher of the Chihuahuas, and that probably again would have fallen to um, would have fallen to the to the tourists. But you know, I think in both cases, when you look at the way it played out with the River Cats or with the Chihuahuas going up against the Taurus, uh, you had to win probably the, those two games with your ace on the mound. Mm-hmm. And that's nothing against the pitching prowess of a Josh Wittenberg or anybody that Chihuahuas could have put up, but that's just the momentum and the psycho- psychological advantage mm-hmm. that, that the Taurus took off of getting a win over the other team's ace hmm. was insurmountable on the day. So that's a foul? 
So I would go with foul. I think the Chihuahuas would have been swept. What do you think, Steve? You know, I'm thinking back to the regular season, and you beat us, right? Correct. We won two out of three. Yeah, I think, man, it would have been a hell of a, a hell of a matchup, and I think I hadn't seen that coming in in that game against you. So who knows what could have happened? How did that series play out? As somebody who was not there in the first time around, what was the what was the difference? In the second game, um, we had actually had to a fourth inning comeback, scored a couple runs off Steve Schroeder, I believe, to to win that game, and then we had won game three. So it really was sort of the momentum, and I know a lot of people don't necessarily believe in momentum, but oh, uh, it's we, huge. Play, we played well in, in game three and ultimately won the series, which was huge when – it came to uh, determining the playoff seeds because uh, you know those two games kind of put us over the top. I think game two really hinged on uh, a key attempted peg and a missed peg from Schroeder when he he was trying to peg a runner who was advancing from first to second and the ball went in the outfield and then the Chihuahuas I believe scored two runs and ended up winning oh, that game. Yep, I remember that now. So it, it, mm. I, I do I will say that although you know some people may or may not believe in momentum. A key negative play like that can really influence a team. For sure. All right, the final fair or foul question. Bing. I suppose it's a statement. The hops failed to live up to their expectations. I'm going to go with foul on this one. They lived up to the expectations I had for them, which were not very high. Um, I just, when I saw that team, and I, again, if, 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 fortunately, I got a new phone, I moved into the current um, time zone or time. With a 6S. Yeah. I was on a 4. Why don't you just take your dick out, Rich? Hey. Um, But if I had my old phone, I smashed it, because that's what every normal person does when they get rid of a cell phone, (laughs) apparently. Um, After I smashed it, we couldn't access those. But getting back to it, I I just felt that they never had enough by way of um, offensive danger. I mean, they weren't a team that would threaten a tourist pitching staff. They weren't a team that would threaten a defensive team like the River Cats, or I don't think they were a team that could hang with the Chihuahuas in a bat-for-bat situation. So um, I don't think they failed to live up to expectations. I I simply thought they were a bit limited, and it seemed there was only one way they were going to win a game, whereas I think when you look at the teams that win it all, they have the ability to win a slugfest, they have the ability to win the tight ones, they have the ability to win on their defense or on their offense or on their pitching. And it it was great, though, to see the brothers Eckert back together i totally it? agree well they um, were on a team together last year as well oh yeah with jason was and boyson great to see them back together for a second <laughs> where, year where row. was but i we sh- last year not in the league getting oh, your phd boy. no i was done i was working getting your cornell oh on colgate um i think i disagree with rich well i, I shouldn't say that i know i disagree with rich there um if Laz were to perform at a level that he expects himself to perform at and at a level that he has shown to be his pretty, his average, basically, I think that that would have been a completely different team. Laz and Luke had very similar offensive stats this year during the regular season, which is not something that you typically expect from somebody who's drafted in the top four hmm. against somebody who's typically drafted in the bottom four. Mm-hmm. So... They had great pitching. They have Laz, who's obviously a great pitcher, and they have Brandon Eckert, who I believe has proven himself to be a great pitcher. Brandon Eckert this year batted over 350, I believe, and 
Dustin Eckert is becoming a force, and as we know, Satry is the, the winningest player in Wiffle mm-hmm. history. So that team should have plenty of offense and plenty of pitching. So I think they definitely underperformed. Wow. That's a great point. You did not give us a fair or foul. I said that's definitely foul. Okay. Woo-hoo. Very, you... very foul. It's, it's Steve, foul. do you have anything to add to this? Not a goddamn thing, Rich. <laughs> uh, Sorry. And into our final, very exciting announcement of the 2015 award nominees. Um, I've yet to see. I hold in my hand. Yes, I know. JF is, has been holding the... this in the safe. It's been in the lockbox. Nominees. And what he's Rich. going to do right now is hand them to me. Oh, that was an early drum roll. Myself and Steve Andrews to discuss. <laughs> so, as we all know, the Wiffle Leadership Council cordially invites every league member and a guest to the ninth annual Wiffle Winter Banquet, co-hosted by yours truly, Steve Andrews, and the Honorable Mike Satry. Saturday, January 16th, <laughs> Sir Satry. 2016, 5 p.m., we're getting older, you can tell, because I believe that is much earlier than normal. Is that now, Russ's bedtime or his, <laughs> or his children's? I, I can't. Like, we'll have to get him on the phone and ask him that. But it is at 5 p.m. at We Return to Lamplighter Inn, or, or have we always done it there? Always. I'm thinking of Emmett's, where, where the draft was held. Correct, okay? Always at, at Lamplighter. Sorry, guys, my memory's going. Um, not only is it at Lamplighter, but it's at the Lamplighter Inn. Tavern and Grill in Palatine, Illinois. Dinner, if that's what we call it, will follow at the commissioner's house. <laughs> Slop trays. <laughs> you can elaborate on that later, Steve. It's but uh, first, um, as we look at the first award, obviously the Wiffle Series 11 champions will be presented by the commissioner, Justin Filardo. And, of course, uh, the only nominee for that is the tourists. Steve with a emphatic fist pump. Player of the year to be presented by Brandon Eckert <coughs> and Rich Nassif. I guess that means I'm not up for player. Oh, the, sorry. Misread that. Play of the year. Play of the year. Ooh. JF, are these strictly offensive, defensive, or any play of the year? Well, if we run down the list of nominees. This uh, is the play Steve, the of the year. Steve Andrews. Uh, a nomination for play of the year on an incredible catch at the wall in game <laughs> two of the Wiffle series. Really had a... Uh, on richness Eve. Uh, That's correct. Yes, a very impactful uh, defensive play. And uh, the second nominee there is Steve Schroeder. He's the first player to ever hit a home run into the neighboring backyard. <laughs> that was outstanding. Wow. So that was uh, certainly had the wow factor. And then the final nominee, Josh Wittenberg, uh, well documented, amazing catch. One handed. Uh, correct. Uh, over the wall to rob a home run Not from only Chris that, Lazzarini. I believe he got two feet in before he hit the ground. Totally incorrect. Okay. <laughs> but again, the play of the year presented by Brandon Eckert and Rich Nassif, that will be. So uncomfortable presenting with him because he's way too raunchy for my taste. But Ooh. up for that, the nominees are, again, Steve Andrews, Steve Schroeder, and Josh Wittenberg. And so no Russ Anderson, though, with the diving catch into the bush where he got stung by a bee. I don't know how many people were aware of that. That was certainly... A, 
This had to, to be, be the best plays of the year all around because yes. we're leaving out the Chris Curtin behind the backs, and there were a lot well, of really good plays. On <laughs> yeah, the I can tell you that there There's were. Like it, it, Josh and I had have a lot to do with uh, the nominees here, and we looked at the statistics and we uh, reviewed a lot of these plays. And uh, as you mentioned, the Chris Curtin behind the back, the Russ catch; those were all finalists for this award. Uh, but a lot of careful thought was put into uh, determining the nominees, and those are the three that we came up with. Very good. We, we try to put a little bit of consideration as to the importance of the play in the game as well. So when Steve Andrews caught a home run or caught a ball and went over the fence that was clearly going to be a home run with a runner on first, that changes the game. You know, Instead of two runs for the opposite team, he saves a run and gets an out. Uh, same thing with some of the other home run catches that, you know, totally change the outcome of a game. Now, like you were saying, a Chris Curtin behind the back with nobody on base and a play that could be made not going behind the back, you know, it, it still looks cool, but it's not quite the game-changing play. Obviously, like we said, it, it was still a finalist because, you know, it looked mm-hmm. great. But last year when he made the behind-the-back catch, Hanchman then took it and got another out. So it was a behind-the-back double play peg, so which hearing- made it amazing. I'm hearing context, context, context. Exactly. Okay, moving on. And we'll, we'll come back to these with our predictions. I believe the producers want us to get some predictions at the end for who will win these <laughs> awards. Um, the most improved player of the year will be presented by Jason Hillenbrand and Steve Schroeder. The three nominees for this award are Dave Leap, Rich Nassif, and Mike Satry. Hmm. Any instant reaction hmm. prediction for that? Intrigue. I'll take that as a no. Uh, <laughs> one Go thing, to the stat man on this one. Uh, one thing that we, when determining you know, who were nominees, one of the things we considered was how this person did in 2015 compared to how they did during 2012, 2013, and 2014, and, uh, 2014 as an average. Another thing to consider is how they did this season as compared to where they were drafted. So it kind of just depends on where we thought their performance was, where they were drafted, or where we thought they were compared to, you know, where they've been historically in the past. So that, you know, some people may have had phenomenal seasons compared to 2014, Mm. but maybe in 2013 they also had a phenomenal season. Mm. So it wasn't quite that drastic of a change. So in other words, for the U-Cub fans out there, Steve Traxel would have won this award every other year. Yeah, you're kind of looking for an up-and-coming player. Mm-hmm. A lot of players have established themselves. Uh, you're sort of looking for a player to maybe make that that next step to show uh, consistency and become a, a player that can be a little bit maybe more established. So guys like Dave Leap, Mike Satry, and Rich Nassif, who haven't been around that long, are now up and coming. Mike Satry has eight championships. <laughs> I know. I'm just I'm just giving JF a hard time. <laughs> showing and yeah, and obviously they. You know, a statistical improvement. But from a from, uh, a, from a standpoint of, I think draft from uh, past draft positioning, I think uh, I I can see where JF is coming from there with saying, maybe I should be considered for, you know, a level or uh, uh maybe a couple stops uh, spots ahead of where I was I was taken. Mm-hmm. So any any predictions there or up for grabs? It was Rich, Mike, and Dave. Correct. I'm gonna have to think about that one. You get back to me. <laughs> Defensive Player of the Year to be presented by Luke Pollard and Paul Stumbaugh. Should be a pretty salty presentation. Uh, 
The three nominees, Jason Hillenbrand, who spent a vast majority of his time on the mound, so clearly a credit to his uh, picking ability off the mound. Chris Lazzarini and Josh Wittenberg. Now, let me ask you guys this as the selection committee. Um, How much weight is put on to a player who maybe is on a team that does not have very much success? Does the success of the team play into where a player might stand for a player of the year award? We're talking a lot about context. Is that part of the context as well? For the defensive player of the year, it it doesn't have any context. It's basically based off of all of the review of the filming. Okay. Uh, or sorry, yeah, the review. After I watch all of the the film, I also am keeping defensive, not really statistics, but notes. Uh, yeah, defensive notes. And, you know, after I'm done watching all of the regular season series, I look back and see the notes and I'll go back and watch the plays and and try to determine if anyone had made a play that was more impactful than than the other. That's basically how it's judged. He's keeping track of basically total attempts Mm -hmm. on the defensive side, as well as phenomenal plays and plays that your typical player wouldn't make as well as errors or mistakes that you know your typical player is probably going to make and kind of weighing the amazing plays and the average plays against the, the poor plays. So a player who makes very few poor plays, all of the average plays and a couple of the exceptional plays is going to have out more. Exactly. Okay. Understood. So again, Jason Hillenbrand, Chris Lazzarini, Josh Wittenberg, all up for the Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, I have to say it's always hard to vote against Mr. Josh Wittenberg for this one, but it should be interesting. Those of us who don't have access to the video might might not know everything that was accomplished by those other two fellows. Mm-hmm. It Go- sounds like it's um, highly subjective and full of systematic error. Is that correct? <laughs> I'd say that's know. accurate. <laughs> Laz, I will say Laz did win last year. I, so he certainly put himself on the map on as a great <laughs> defensive player. Up for it again. <laughs> Next up is the Postseason Most Valuable Player Award presented by Justin Filardo and Chris Lazzarini. The three nominees, Russ Anderson, Ooh. Jason Hillenbrand, and Steve Schroeder. Now let me ask you this. How many times has a losing player won the Postseason MVP Award? Never. Could this be the first year? Wait. Not likely. Say that again. I, a a per, person, person from the team that lost Whipple series winning team has never won the postseason MVP. There was a lot of double negatives in there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Has a player who's lost the the Whipple series has he ever won? No, and that's what JF is. Okay, yeah. So again, your nominees then are Russ Anderson and Steve Schroeder, because apparently Jason can't win it. Thoughts, Steve? You're just you know soaking it all in. I'm just taking it in. Um, so two. Well, give I guess us, give post- us somebody, Steve. You were you played in the series, you know. Do I? Do I? Um, Who do you think was the most valuable person on your team during the postseason? During your one series in the postseason, oh, between those two guys, well, unless you feel that you were the most valuable player. I was thinking Chris, but um, the let's well, let's talk about it. For Struggle a, a bit defensively. You have to think about defense, offense. Mm-hmm. Pitching, totality. everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would say the most valuable player was the right-sided batter's box. That completely eliminated like eight players from the mix. 
Can, well, let's can we kick around some of the big things that happen, like some of the reasons that Russ or Steve or Jason Jason would yeah. have. Well, I think you, you if you start with, you know, either Jason or Steve, it's the uh, innings they logged in the first, I believe, eight innings it mm-hmm. was. Um, and then from there, you know, who had a better at at bat? Mm-hmm. Um, Steve. Now I don't remember in particular how did Russ do at the plate in the in the Wiffle series. I think he did fairly well. Right. Um, let's turn to the stats, man. Josh, can you pull those up? Uh, how how he's like? I wish I had a, a Mac. Uh, uh. No, Russ was was very um, strong offensively in the postseason. He was the third most. Uh, proficient offensive player in the postseason behind Schroeder and myself. Understood. And, and you, you have to also factor in the fact that he only played. I one. had substantially more at bats than Russ and uh, Schroeder, so I had an opportunity to impact the game more often. Correct. Hmm. Steve, mm-hmm. as you think about this more, what other plays come to mind that Russ or Steve made either at the plate, on the mound, or I mean, obviously we we touched on Russ's catch in the outfield. Mm-hmm. Um, Steve obviously took a lot of uh, defensive plays on the infield, mm-hmm. but he induced those himself through his pitching. Yeah, yeah. I'm really a poor historian, Rich. I was dissociated for most of the series. I apologize. Understood. Um, I just remember a lot of turning points, and I think the team rallied around those, and so I'm not surprised that Russ and Steve are... I mean, I think the team really crystallized in those moments where we really... Where we really needed to. And, of course, Schroeder with some big hits in game one. Yeah. Not, not game one. Game oh, sorry. three. No. Sorry, game three. Again, I, I have it all jumbled. I don't even remember it. We're getting the call. All yeah. right. The producers are chiming in now. Uh, we need to go to a break. And with that, you're listening to the Wiffle League Podcast. <laughs> Inside the Wiffle League podcast, as we continue our 2015 award nominees and nominations, uh, these again will be presented and announced at the 2016 Winter Wiffle, sorry, ninth annual Wiffle Winter Banquet, which will happen in obviously 2016. That's like two months from today. Yeah, exactly. That's, That's why crazy. it comes out today. It's crazy. All right, we've gone through our. Play of the year, most improved player of the year, defensive player of the year, and postseason MVP. You know, I think one thing we should just go back to real quick is obviously Jason Hillenbrand playing in two series, playoff series, that is, uh, plays a big part in his nomination for the postseason MVP. And, of course, his dominant pitching that got the River Cats to the Wiffle series uh, should be noted. Uh, but as we move on, and, and um, interesting that this is the next award, pitcher of the year to be presented by Brian Boyson and Dave Leap. The nominees do not include Jason Hillenbrand. I think that's certainly a surprise. Wouldn't you guys agree? Well, yes. I think the stats would disagree with your... <laughs> well, screw the stats, Josh. All right. <laughs> with your disagreement? Would disagree but with the nominees contention. and the much-deserved nominees are Jeff Hanschman, Chris Lazzarini, and Steve Schroeder. Now, 
Wow. Steve, Steve, you faced two of those. Yeah. One was on your team. Yeah. Blush. First blush. What is... Who who is the pitcher of the year? Chris, Jeff, and... uh, Steve Schroeder. Steve Schroeder. Um, You know, so for me... Wait, can we just go to the stats real quick on that, Josh? Sure. What would you like to hear? I'd like to hear the stats. All right. The stats breakdown? Yeah. Thank you. Sure. So, Laz led the league this year in innings pitched at 24. Hanchman was a a close second with 23. Uh, Each of those guys had three wins. Laz also had three losses. Hanchman had two losses. Uh, Schroeder was way down the list at half as many innings as Lazzarini with 12, and he only had one win and two losses. So, can we get so some how was I not nominated? <laughs> I think it was uh, your <laughs> disappointing first series of the year, which led to uh, some elevated stats and uh, a pretty high walk count with twelve. So what you're saying is there's no eye test; it's strictly what's on paper. Oh dear. Well, no, there is an eye test. I think there's a we, and buddy. everybody remembered the insatiable amount of walks that occurred in the first series. That's what we call a primacy effect, though. Well, you have, you have to remember that there's only nine games in the regular season, so if Jason pitches poorly in two of them and he's only allowed to pitch in four other games, that's One-third. 33% of his games he pitched poorly in. And I don't really think many people are going to nominate someone who performs very well two-thirds of the time. But a guy who so, loses three times in six outings is also up for it. So, so, I think so, by, that, num- so yeah. by that logic, I don't think Jake Arrieta should be anywhere near the – the Cy Young conversation, then, if you're going to go with that logic. Why not? Look at his first half. His He only had two losses this year, I believe. Two or three losses, and he had 22 well, wins. I, it seems like what we're bumping up against is some disagreement here. Right. And, that, <laughs> and some contention, Jason. You Your uh, outrage is duly noted and duly shared. Well, at the end of the day, you have to remember that wins in Wiffle, in the Wiffle League are a flawed stat, as they are in any in any sport, because wins so why are, are we, really dependent upon what were the, ERAs? the run support. Can so we get an ERA and a whip breakdown of I these? I can't give you ERAs because we, we don't calculate earned runs, but we calculate runs against. And runs against. Hanchman led the league. Well, I shouldn't say that. Schroeder led the league with 1.33 runs against, followed by Hanchman at 1.57, and Lazzarini at 2.5. Uh, and they also had very low whips. Lazzarini had a 1.3 whip. Hanchman had just under a 1.1. And Schroeder had a 1.25 whip. And all three of those mm-hmm. were the top three whips in the league. And they were also uh, three of the top four runs against in the league. Um, honestly, I, I, I don't know how to separate these three. Because while I believe that they're all very good pitchers, I don't remember any of them on the days we played them being necessarily dominant. Mm-hmm. Steve Schroeder only pitched one game against us. I mm-hmm. believe Steve Andrews pitched the second, and Russ mm-hmm. pitched the other. So I, f- from what I saw in person, mm-hmm. um, if we're only counting the regular season, Jeff Hanchman, I believe in that series, we took two out of the three JF from you guys. Correct. And again, with Chris Lazzarini, we swept them. So um, I don't, from my perspective, again, what I saw. Mm-hmm. Who was a dominant pitcher this year, Rich? Um the entire season or strictly the regular season? Regular season. The regular, regular season. season um, I, I think in many re- regards, I guess you could argue Jeff Hanchman because he, he, he did dominate the headlines, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was certainly very difficult to, to hit against. Mm-hmm. Um, from our perspective, or at least my perspective, I remember that enjoying that series a little bit. So, 
Well, the, un- the unfortunate, sorry to cut you off, Steve, yeah. but the unfortunate reality is with a short season, if there's a pitcher or an offensive player or a defensive player that performs poorly in one series, it may impact how their overall performance is viewed for the season or the regular season. Understood. So, you know, that's kind of where we're coming from, I suppose, can with I, Jason. Can I ask who, you this, JF? Was Jason not dominant over the last four games that he pitched in the regular season? He was, but his uh, performance in the first series was not good at all and very likely cost him a nomination. Well, you know, even the most brilliant meteors burn out at some point. Uh, so so it's fair to say these are strictly stat-based awards. Oh, oh right. How else are you going to determine who is good and who is performed poorly over the course of the season. Well, there's well, some apparently, inconsistent... You guys can't even recall apparently, some of the plays yeah. from the Whipple yeah. series, which was three months ago. Are we going to just oh, trust well, there, your memory well, on there's the also, remaining awards? There's also inconsistency, well, we there's inconsistency in the ways that the awards are evaluated. Decided. Correct. Mm-hmm. So, I completely mean, disagree. Some are qualitative, some are quantitative. I completely disagree. Yes. Lay it on me, brother. I, I believe that every award, the nominees as well as the winner, are completely deserving of the nomination as well as the winning. So wait, you didn't respond to either qualitative or quantitative. You're telling me it's both? I'm telling you that on a, on awards that have detailed statistics behind them, mm. the statistics drive the nominations as well as the eye test. We're going to look at the statistics because they tell the story, and then we're going to consider the eye test after that. Although Hillenbrand's not nominated... The statistics still show that he was one of the top five pitchers in the league, which I think anybody would agree with. Mm-hmm. And I think that anybody who was at the first series is going to agree that Hillenbrand didn't have a great series that day. He had a lot of walks. This season he had 12 walks. Okay. And I think he had put himself in a hole that even two great performances he couldn't get himself out of. Did anyone else pitch four games in a row with only giving up one run or whatever Jason's run was there over the last four? I guess my point is we're, we're, we're debating whether a guy who's consistently above average. He was walking players because he couldn't consistently hit the strike zone. He was intentionally walking players. I'm not sure, Jason, maybe you could speak to this. Were you walking players because they were not swinging or were you walking because you weren't? Confident in the the intentional being able to hit the, the strike the intentional zone. Walks or when yeah, the intentional edition. walks in that first series. Oh, I mean the if the spirit of the wiffle, you know, if the spirit of wiffle ball is to sit and take pitches and not try to hit, then why am I wasting my time throwing a, throwing a ball at the plate? So that's that's where that came from. Steve Andrews, does Russ have a gripe not being up for pitcher of the year? Um, absolutely. I think he's. Um, I think that's you read my mind. I was thinking that like exactly as Jason, as we've been sort of uh, debating whether or not Jason should have been nominated. I think Russ was coming to mind too. Just incredibly consistent, dominant. Uh, just amazing to warm up with him too and see what he's really capable of. I mean, even regardless of whether or not he brings that to the actual game, which he For sure. does. Very talented. Just unbelievable. Mm-hmm. You know. I'm glad you brought up Russ because the stats disagree with you uh russ was actually the only pitcher outside of yourself steve who gave up six or more hits per game this season on average Mm -hmm. and his runs against 
he was the sixth best pitcher this season. Although his record was 4-0, it just shows that during the games that he did pitch, his team was also getting a lot of hits and scoring a lot of runs. Because they have a lot of confidence in his pitching. Unless I was going to say, can you divorce the pitching from the team that that is rallying around the pitcher? Yeah, I I think it's a very complicated uh, discussion, and I think... Before we move on to the next award, I I think it's fair to share that last year Russ was nominated for an award for Pitcher of the Year, and he had only thrown 13 innings, and Schroeder this year had thrown 12 innings. And if anyone is feeling conflicted, I would urge them to to look at Russ's 2014 statistics, compare them to Steve Schroeder's statistics, and... The precedent's been set. I'm not conflicted on the uh, the innings limit. I think it's tough to say that somebody must meet an innings requirement mm-hmm. when we also only allow them to pitch eight innings. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think probably 12 innings, Josh and I discussed this, is probably the baseline. Yeah. It has to be. Let correct. Me, let me, so let me say three things. But my point is this, and, and sorry, let me get one yeah, thing in yeah, real yeah. quick. Um, I, I don't look at any of these three guys from, from again, from what I saw on the mm-hmm. field, and that's all I can judge it off of. Yes, I could look at the stats, but I don't remember going into those games and being afraid to go up against those those pitchers. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way Jason pitched this year in the regular season, as well as the way Russ can pitch, and maybe mm-hmm. he didn't do it this year, but again, I was only at one series in which mm-hmm. we got swept. Those guys, to me, when you ask the question, are they dominant? Who is dominant? Mm-hmm. I think that postseason is probably leaking into your memory right now. He's very dominant in the postseason, but this is a regular season award. Jason or, Correct. or Russ? Jason. Okay. And Russ, so, really. Russ so, pitched. And Russ, absolutely. May Russ, I say three things? Russ gave up one hit in the Wiffle Series. In six innings, Russ gave up one hit while he was averaging giving up six hits in a four-inning game. So he was extremely dominant in the mm-hmm. postseason. Well, let's move on to what could have been and to what is, Okay. And I think three things that I'm thinking about is who's most likely, who was most likely this year to engage my hypothalamus, fight or flight response, Jeff Hanschman. Okay. Who surprised me the most? Steve Schroeder. Um, and who's the third guy? Laz. Clearly. I mean, you know. Indifferent he, towards I, I Laz. Do, Can't even remember. I think, I mean, I haven't had a home run. Did I, I had a home run off Laz and I haven't had a home run at Chesterworth in, uh, Years, so to this season ever no ever, so I, I I wasn't afraid. Let's go back to your first point, Steve, if that's mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. Um, I think uh, I think maybe one of the things that upsets me a little bit about uh, these award nominations is that uh, the nomination on your first point uh, kind of legitimizes Jeff's approach to pitching in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, that's all I'll say on that, and if that's if that's if that's the case, then that's fine. I think we all have talked about this, and it's come up many times, so I don't need to expand on that. But um, I probably wouldn't have been upset if I would have seen Russ's name in there, despite the stats. Mm-hmm. Okay, I feel you, brother. Well, we'll move on to the offensive player of the year, which is to be presented by Chris Curtin and Dustin Eckert. Uh, up for this award, Rich Nassif, Steve Schroeder, and Josh Wittenberg. Apparently, whoever had the best stats will win that, so. <laughs> Who's that? Or what's what's the award? Offensive Player of the Year. Okay. Thoughts, Steve? I like your analysis. It's very well thought out and <laughs> verbose. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. God damn it. Um, 
So this is offensive player of the year. Offensive player of the year. Steve Schroeder. Le- Josh yep. Wittenberg, mm-hmm. Steve Schroeder, and Rich Nassif. Was anybody were any of those hitters dominant over the course of the year? I to- think you sort of regressed to the mean in turn in terms of um, what you're capable of. Um, so you surprised me for sure. Thank you. Um, yeah, but didn't surprise me at the same time because we all knew what you were capable of. Correct. Um, Schroeder, um, I mean, I can't, I, there's sort of an, an availability heuristic in my mind of just that dominant, huge home run that I can't shake when I think about him offensively. Right. And a few times where he just, just crushed the ball. And I know that's not offensive, but just amazing. And then Josh, I mean, it's just consistently beautiful. One of the best hitters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Moving on to the Heart and Hustle Award, which will be presented by Steve Andrews and Mike Satry. Can we get a clarification? Because I think there was some confusion as to these awards, JF. The Heart and Hustle Award is what exactly? desire and passion on the field as well as off the field so um positive desire and passion or any desire and passion (laughs) that's not specific uh but you know a player that works works hard off the field as well to try to make themselves a better player also someone who's a team player um and then also um so that's sort of where the and someone who also has a passion for the game as well, someone that that does things to to help the league uh, as well as their team and their individual. So the self the nominees for the Heart and Hustle Award to be presented by our hosts, MCs, founders of the banquet, if you will. I mean, in many ways, founding fathers at least. Okay, I may Steve and there. Mike. Uh, those nominees are Brandon Eckert, Dave Leap, and Steve Schroeder. Hmm. I guess a two a second year player has some passion and desire, and he certainly probably could have won this award in his first year as the guy who drove the farthest to play the game. You flew, yes, but you weren't playing that. No, nah. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, we'll go to the Michael D. Hansen Sportsmanship. <laughs> well, that award. was quick. Okay, analysis complete. We're on a time crunch here. Oh. And that's also one of the more eye test awards as opposed to statistics. Yeah, there's we don't really have no, much. There's no metric on hustle. There's no metric We're going to go back heart. to the tape and see who gave the most uh, FaceTime on the camera, and that will factor Heart and hustle. Okay. Michael D. Hansen. Donald Hansen. <laughs> Michael Donald Hansen. Is that really his middle name? I believe so. Yeah. Sportsmanship Award presented by Jeff Hanschman and Josh Wittenberg. Uh, those nominees, Dustin Eckert, Chris Lazzarini, Dave Leap. JF, any anything we need to know about the Donald Hansen Michael Sportsmanship Award? Uh, I know there's been some uh, guys that have wondered why we have the Heart and Hustle and the Sportsmanship Award. They're two very different awards. Um, you know, the the Sportsmanship Award is someone who is you know, keeps their integrity intact to try to determine what the best call on the field is and also has the respect of their teammates and their opponent. Uh, the Heart and Hustle Award is just a little bit different. You don't necessarily have to be that person. 
uh, but you also, again, show a passion for the game and a, and a strong work ethic. So um, the sportsmanship, I don't think, has been – it's gone to the to a very deserving player in, in years past, but uh, it basically tries to keep uh, people from, you know, thinking – basically something to think twice about when there's a close call. Uh, you know, you realize that those are – important especially with no umpires or anything we need guys to be able to show a great deal of sportsmanship and i think it's beneficial so sportsmanship is more about equanimity and heart and hustle is more about uncontained raw emotion pretty much i would agree yeah Yeah. Um, good breakdown i think it's important to, to say that it's not necessarily something that you should be considering when you're making a call as it's something that will reward players who are considering the right call as opposed to just trying to get what's best for their team. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? It's not like, Oh, well I should, I should make this call for the other team. So I get sportsmanship award. It's more like this guy consistently makes the correct call and we want to shed light on them and give them their due because they have earned, you know, the sportsmanship award. Mm Mm-hmm. Thanks. Great ana- great analysis, gentlemen. I, I really enjoyed that. Lastly, the Stephen M. Andrews Lifetime Achievement Award. What's your middle name? Michelangelo? Maxwell. Is it? <laughs> Stephen Maxwell Andrews. You have three, first, it, three first names there. It's buddy. Matthew, right? <laughs> Who the hell? <laughs> well, well, this will be seen. an apostle? He's an apostle, right? Matthew? Yeah. Yeah. He will be this will be presented by Russell Anderson, and that will be presented to The Command. Justin Filardo. Bye, Quakey. Any debate on that one, guys? Any stats? He's the only one up for the award. Okay. Hmm. Fair enough. As we look back on the awards, obviously the pitcher of the year, uh, 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 certainly an award that has some Points of contention to it should be interesting to see how that one plays out. Everybody looks forward to the play of the year with the highlight video element. I think that's always a an exciting award to see. And I think uh, when you look at the rest of the potential uh, award winners out there, we wish all of them luck and have those speeches prepared. Gentlemen. Gentlemen. With that, it's time to go to break and hopefully... Our producer, Hilly, is paying attention over there, not playing Candy Crush anymore or whatever he was doing on his phone. <laughs> so with that, we're going to go to one more break here at the Wiffle League Podcast. We're back on the air. <laughs> Steve and I were about to harmonize some beautiful Goldfinger. Super yeah, yeah. Dude. Pick it up. <laughs> you got a going few beers on. in us? <laughs> well, at least I do. And it's time for going deep as we delve deep inside the mind of Dr. <laughs> Stephen Andrews. Not a real one. PhD. Uh, Steve, I, I have a series of six questions here that will range from... Wiffle to current events, and uh, 
from there we'll go into 10 rapid fire questions and roughly 10 word associations. Well, I have about 14 questions for you and I'm used <laughs> to asking the questions. So, but you go ahead, Rich. Well, for once, Steve, you're on the couch. Oh, fuck. oh okay. <laughs> you went there. Yes, I did. Okay. First off, um obviously a, a tremendous season for your, yourself and the tourists capping it off with a tremendous performance in a very uh, exhilarating Wiffle Series 11. Yeah. What was your fondest memory or fondest memories of the 2015 season? I think, um, honestly, there were a couple of times before games, like when the team would get together and we'd start to talk a little bit more about strategy. And I started to realize that I had a little bit more of a voice than I think I, as a captain than I realized I had at first to... Uh, embracing that was certainly huge and seeing the team support some of those decisions like changing up the batting order that was huge um, yeah and then honestly the memory of the the you know the Wiffle series and just sort of uh, the team coming together hugging and uh, it was just really special man it was really cool to see everything that we'd really I, I we did work hard off the field so I think seeing that materialize was just Wonderful. Very rewarding, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, biggest obstacle in the 2015 season, whether it was internal within the tourists or um, any op- opponent or a certain individual that really gave you guys a, a lot of fits. Um, looking back, were there any obstacles that you guys kind of overcame as a team? I would say that it was um, knowing what we were capable of was the biggest like realizing the potential, if you will. Exactly. Yeah, I think that we came off the draft feeling incredibly powerful as a team, and knowing that our offense was not quite. And with Josh sort of out of the room now, there's nothing to really support that. But just um, knowing what we were capable of offensively, uh, making turning that into a reality was something that was hard for us, uh, and. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Understood. Mm-hmm. Uh, you took a season off in 2014. Mm-hmm. You win a Wiffle Series in 2015. Yeah, buddy. Do you take another season off in 2016? I don't. Okay. I don't. Not unless I tear my Achilles tendon. And... Pull a Brian Boyson. Too soon. Too soon. Is it too soon? Why? Who pulled their? Who tore their Achilles tendon? Someone did. I think it was a. Achilles. Achilles. <laughs> he tore his own tent. Mm-hmm. Brad Pitt? <laughs> right? What was that movie? No. Nobody. The one with the Nazis in it? Is that anti Semitic? Troy. Troy. Oh, okay. no, I'm not, not going there. Okay. Was he not Troy? Uh, he was Achilles Troy. was. And Troy was Brad Pitt, not Achilles? Never seen it. Okay. <laughs> also never seen Star Wars. Three what? But 300. I've also never seen it. 300 so was an excellent movie. Yeah. Have you ever seen the second 300? No. 301? No. Uh-huh. <laughs> Not 301 Dalmatians. <laughs> Cruella de Vil. As we uh, delve into some more serious topics, Steve, um, I do want to follow up my last question first, though. This off season, you know, you took a season off, as we said. You, you win a Wiffle Series. What What's your focus this off season, or is it strictly uh, celebrating the victories of the previous season, or is there something you really want to work on with your game or your mental approach, or, mm-hmm. or again, your you know maybe some mechanics, anything that sticks out? 
Um, this season was really exciting for me to see um, a little bit more of what I was capable of. Um, and uh, maybe that was more offensively, even though I think maybe in terms of stats that's not the case, but I felt more powerful at the plate and got a couple of runs, which I hadn't done at Chestnut before. Um, I think that more than anything, I'm thinking about my pitching offseason um, and uh, that was a big, I mean, knowing that I drafted two really strong pitchers and knowing that I believe in myself as a pitcher was a, was a point of contention. Uh, it was an internal conflict. I think I had to, um, balance the fun and the joy and the excitement I get out of pitching with what I knew Russ and Steve were capable of and I had to put myself second, but I'm coming back strong. It takes sacrifice to win. It really does. So Steve, um, as we touch on some of your off the field abilities, mm-hmm. achievements. <laughs> what type of discipline and mm-hmm. sacrifice did you learn as you went through earning your PhD and and what what from that do you apply to your you know ever your 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 eternal search for wiffle greatness? So that was a really complicated question. You're a complicated man, you can handle it. You're goddamn right. But um, I, I you know again, it takes it takes a lot of discipline for sure and personal sacrifice to mm-hmm. reach all the uh, you know the the necessary checkpoints of earning a a PhD. So what yeah. what 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 can you take away from that experience and apply to again that that search or that eternal journey as a mm-hmm. great wiffle ball player? Well, I guess I would start by saying that like of a lot of the sacrifices I made, what made that possible was support along the way from a lot of different people, my friends, my family. I remember a lot of times sleeping on JF's couch and and uh, Jason's couch and just knowing that people were there for me to sort of like give me a break away from my studies. Mm-hmm. Jason just walked in with a monstrous plate of mac and cheese. I think we need to point that out, like just enormous. And <laughs> um, I, I, I think that so... <laughs> like a, believe me the last thing i want like is a child in somalia just waiting for a taste it's not coming the wow. um I, I i think that um so really sacrifice taught me the importance of support in the service of sacrifice in the service of you know make some some ultimate outcome so i don't think there was really but now my goal is really just never to delay gratification in my life again. I'm going to do everything I want right away. And I'm just like going to, I'm going to sleep with whoever I want. I'm going to drink whatever I want. I'm going to just do, I'm thinking really heavily about heroin. I mean, <laughs> why not? Right. I suppose. <laughs> From one dark topic to another, as I said, you're <laughs> You are a complicated man, and I think as a as a whip a leak and as a as, I wasn't even supposed to be here tonight. I know that's the best part. And as a but 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 but, <laughs> but you want to talk about dark and complicated. But on a serious note, I mean, you are a you are a uh, observer of human action and behavior, correct? Yes, sir. Yeah. What are your thoughts on the current events that we've witnessed in Paris, Beirut, Iraq, and the the struggle the human struggle that is going on the ideological war that we're fighting what you know again i think this this league yes it's fun and we we enjoy it but we also are a collection of grown-up men who must face the reality that's going on in our world and what do you take away from from these unfortunate events you know 
I think I've, I've been a firm believer in the feminist philosophy that the personal is political. And um, I need to do a little bit more thinking about how I see some of those things playing out in the league, personally. Mm-hmm. Um, and I definitely think that there have been sprinklings of racism and certainly sexism. I mean, we're an all-male league. <laughs> so, I mean, we can't deny some of these things are happening um, and playing out. But on a broader scale, like you're talking about, um, when I need to make meaning about it, uh, I kind of go back to this idea of ego and just this sense that, not sense, but just this fact that people forget that we have a shot at life in the first place. And um, the fact that we're all here is doesn't make any sense to begin with. So to use that to create violence and suffering, to me, doesn't make any sense. Um because it didn't have to be this way. None of us had to be here. Correct. And that's not coming from a religious standpoint or no, a spiritual one, just sort of a... Ideological, philosophical, mm-hmm. for yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. Very wise thoughts, and I think something we can all think about in our own time. Um, let's finish on a positive note, for sure. Thank God. The banquet, is, it's kind of your baby every year. You know, It's kind of something you pour a lot of hours. I hope this is a positive <laughs> note, by the way. It's my premature baby. It's my fetal alcohol okay. syndrome baby. <laughs> um, you know, you pour a lot of man hours, a lot of sweat, a lot of mental effort into that event, mm-hmm. and it's always a spectacular um, spectacle, if you will. Mm-hmm. Is that a little bit redundant? A spectacular spectacle? <laughs> no, I don't. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but it's certainly a spectacle, and I think yeah, what makes the banquet so great, Steve, and I can share this to you from... Not my perspective, but my wife's perspective. I mean, she has, you know, very little affiliation to the league other than the fact that she's unfortunately married to one of the participants. <laughs> Which but, brings us back to the sexism. She wouldn't because she's a woman, right? Right. So well, why? she's a three-time <laughs> national champion. But she oh, loves oh, it. Hoo! She loves the event. Uh-huh. She loves it. And part of that reason is the performance that you and, and Mike put on. So w- what goes into the banquet from your end? And, you know, what are some of the things that you really enjoy being a part of the banquet process? Is it the realization of all the work coming together, or is it the, that time you spend putting together the, the background film, the script? and It's just such a magical... You know, Jason and I have joked about, like, banquet season sort of year after year, and it's true. It's like, yeah, Christmas season comes and they start playing that bullshit on 93.9 this time <laughs> of year, but, but really, uh, banquet season starts... Um, around that time that the bullshit starts and it's so magical because it outlasts christmas it outlasts hanukkah it outlasts kwanzaa um and getting together i i just have a fond memory of like when mike and i were first starting to host around that time getting together at a diner in chicago and starting to go over ideas it's just so um it's exciting because we don't know exactly where it's going to go. And then, again, like Jason helps us bring it to life. Right. And so it's the process. It's from the inception to the creation. That's just, it's the whole process. Did Jason, so- you look like you want to add Did something. somebody tell me that that's two months away right now? Yes. Yeah. Oh, dear Lord. Yeah. You need to be, not, <laughs> you need to be doing something else. I need right to not be doing this podcast done. right now. <laughs> We always put, we're, our goal this year, my goal this year, which I still need to touch base with Mike about, is to give Jason a break. And yeah. we're going to come up with an idea that involves a little less filming on his end. Any, uh, uh-huh. any teasers you can throw out to the crowd as to what the content, or is that still a, a long ways away in terms of the creative process? I'm going to give you 
three words in song format. And this is, we don't know where it's going, okay? Here's a story. That's all I'm giving you. (laughs) Uh, The ever-elusive Steve Andrews, everybody. I'll open it up to the producers. Generally, I allow you guys one deep interview question. Jason? I got nothing. That was pretty that was pretty deep there, guys. Okay. Well done. Who would you rather go out with? Margot Robbie or Rich finish this for me? Who's Margot Robbie? Because the answer is Margot, Margot Robbie. I don't know who Margot Robbie is. Taylor Swift. Brian Taylor Adams. Swift. Do you guys really bring me over this shit? Come on. Give me something else. That's it, Jeff? That's all you got? Come on. Well, I wasn't prepared for this. this I would have thought of better. I mean, Dig into my pancreas. Give me something. All right. We, we're going to move on, Steve, because clearly they're not prepared, <laughs> and I am. Um, all right. Here we go. I want some rapid-fire answers here. These do not have to be one word, but we're going to try to keep this moving. Mm-hmm. Favorite color? Uh, blue and yellow tie. <laughs> <laughs> favorite, Which is not green. Favorite, blue and yellow. Favorite food item? Pickles. Favorite drink? Not alcoholic. Oh, uh, c- coffee. Favorite drink, alcoholic? Beer. Which kind of beer? Any particular? Um, the hoppier, the better. Okay. Favorite band? That's going to be a tie between Nirvana, Saves a Day, and David Bazan. Not high by acquaintance. <laughs> <laughs> God damn you. Yeah. Favorite movie? Um, Groundhog Day. Favorite TV show? house just kidding gilmore girls which is coming back mm. four new episodes 90 minutes each on netflix i was disappointed with the return of arrested development so don't get your hopes up did anybody see the return of hot wet american summer on no, netflix not yet. Is i have it not worth it i don't know and i'm asking is it movie form or it's a series? it's a series but <laughs> that if you've seen who's supposed to be in it it looks incredible god damn moving on favorite book um, Matt Haig's The Humans is currently my favorite book. Is that a fiction or nonfiction? It's, it's <laughs> fictional, and unfortunately, I think Brad Pitt might have bought the rights to it, but uh, um, to the uh, movie. Uh, yeah. And uh, lastly, second favorite sport, and I must say this question, whoever wrote this clearly assumes that Wiffle is your favorite <laughs> sport. Um, how, are we defi- how are we defining a sport? Um, we're going to go by... Uh, Sport that you would participate in? Mm-hmm. Uh, ping pong. And sport that you would watch? Uh, ping pong. You watch ping pong? Sure. Yeah. Where, where do you find these on the internet? That's correct, sir. Which ethnicity of the ping pong do you like to watch the most? Is it more the Eastern European or the Eastern Asian influence? Mm-hmm. Either one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And uh, on to our last part of the... <laughs> Going deep segment, Steve, word association. These are one word. We will not allow hyphens. Correct. No hyphens. Ellipses, points, commas, Challenge yourself. One word. Discipline. Okay. okay. The first... Wait, was that a word? Or no, we... I'm oh, telling you okay. to have discipline to the one word rule. Steve Andrews. <laughs> All right. Our first... Association, mm-hmm. JF. 
friend. Dustin Eckert. Buddha. Jason Hillenbrand. Creative. Steve Schroeder. Determined. Brian Boyson. Mm, nothing's coming. No, so it's the first word that comes to mind. Um, masculinity. <laughs> I'm not giving any sort of valence to that. Just masculinity. Paul Stumbau. Beard. Mike Satry. Buddy. Rich Nassif. Professional. Thank you. <laughs> Dave Leap. <laughs> Uh, can I do two? Two Start, words? What is it? Natural comic. <laughs> we'll allow it because it's Dave Leap and we all appreciate what Well, actually, brings. hold on. Penis. <laughs> <laughs> I'm amending it. Chris Curtin. Untapped. And a new concept here. All right. One word association for the Wiffle Winter Banquet. Wait, I'm supposed to give a word about the banquet? One word. Disaster. <laughs> is that a is that a is that a forecast or is that a looking back on previous? Is do I need to give a word association for that question? <laughs> yes. Internal. <laughs> and and with that, Steve, you are off. The hot seat. Thank God. We have <laughs> gone deep into the mind that is. And we have... You scratched the cortex. Okay. Um, looks like it's time for us to hit up our last break of the evening here on the Wiffle Podcast. Welcome back into the Wiffle League podcast. Steve, during the break, one of the producers mentioned to me that it was your idea to use the more human than human uh, sound for this uh, segment. Is that true? That's not accurate. <laughs> you deny everything? I do. And I just want to quickly add that my analysis before of current world events can't be taken out of the context of power and privilege. I'm just going to throw that out there. Uh, sure, we'll get our lawyers on that if anybody can figure out what exactly that means. So with the coming attractions, um, and apparently this is important, but there will be a Wiffle Leadership Council meeting. <laughs> Sunday. <laughs> Circle jerk. Is that what that means? Sunday, November 29th at 9 a.m. The location not disclosed. Saggy cookie. <laughs> Thanks, Paul Stumbo. Yeah. As we mentioned previously and, and talked about at length with our guest, Steve Andrews. Steve, I want to thank you for being here tonight. Um, the ninth Annual Wiffle Winter Banquet will occur January 16th at 5 p.m. Aforementioned Lamplighter Inn and Tavern Grill. 
And the next podcast, which will be a 2015 Wiffle Draft Preview. 2016. Ah, typo. I apologize. Somebody's going to get fired. Oh. (laughs) The 2016 Wiffle Draft Preview, that will occur sometime in February 2016. My hope, and I've pushed for this in the past, is that there will be a combine, draft combine. JF, any, any thoughts to that? That'll probably be discussed at the next Wiffle Leadership Council meeting. Um, it will also be discussed whether or not we will move up the draft, possibly one month. It may be a March draft this year. Interesting. What? Any logic behind that that you care to share? Will we just have to listen to the meeting? You'll have to listen into the meeting. Well, with that, I want to thank our producers, Hilly, Jason Hill and Brand behind Studio the dials. H. That's it? That's all you got? Yeah, he just turned up the volume. He's just going to turn his mic on, but not say <laughs> I thought you had something for me there. <laughs> I got nothing. Go no, th- th- Margo Boldy or Taylor Swift. <laughs> Thanks for coming, mm-hmm. guys. Mm-hmm. Jason, thank you for having what, us. And I do want to say good luck to your Iowa Hawkeyes. I know that that's on the top of your priority list at this time. So good luck to them as they search for perfection. It's up there. Let's go, Hawks. Thank you to the commission, our producer, Justin Filardo. Man of few You're words. Welcome. Yeah. I want to thank our stat man, Josh Wittenberg, who had to go off to a, a very important flag football game in the city at 9.30 p.m. on a Monday. Most importantly, I want to thank Steve Andrews once again for, for being here. What a, what a pleasure and honor it was to have a man of so many accomplishments in the studio. Thanks, Richie. And I'm your host, Rich Nassif, thanking you for joining us on this version, this edition this amazing spectacle that is the Wiffle League podcast. Bye, bye, bye.